Hello and welcome to the South Carolina Lead. I'm your host, Gavin Jackson, and this episode was recorded on April 22nd, 2022 from South Carolina Public Radio Studios here in Columbia. Just so you know, some of the information in this podcast may have changed by the time you've heard it. I know I did last episode because they lifted that mask mandate on planes right after we finished. Now, this episode features a substantial politics section with drama, action, and intrigue. Drama, action, and intrigue. Actually, that sums up the next few weeks as we wind down the session. In this episode, we look at the House-passed CRT bill, what bills are heading to the governor's desk right now, and the massive blow-up over what the Senate did to the early voting bill, and of course, much more. It's a hot and heavy politics section, so much so that we had to punt on business. Apologies, business. But in medical, we're talking about snakes on a plane. No, sorry, sorry, masks on a plane. Yeah, not snakes on a plane. And I speak with Richland County Sheriff Leon Lott about several recent mass shootings and the uptick in crime. And even more news. Yes, in less than a week, we are going to be at Sumter Original Brewery. That's right, April 28th at 6.30 p.m. for a live taping with myself, A.T., and our guests, Meg Kennard of the Associated Press and Mayan Schechter, politics editor at the State Newspaper. Come out, have a pint, participate in some fellowship, and snag some swag. This is stuff you can only get at live tapings, VV exclusive. So register on our Eventbrite by going to scetv.org slash sclead. It's free, but we'd like to know who's coming, get a name tag, get us an idea about how many things we need to bring. Again, it's April 28th, 6.30 p.m., Sumter Original Brewery. We'll see you there. But if you can't come and see us, let us hear you. You can do that by walking outside and shouting or by calling 803-563-7169. That's our voicemail box where you can leave us your name, where you're calling from, and what's going on in your world. If you have any big life decisions you need us to decide for you, we can do that. We are trained and able and standing by at 803-563-7169. Come on, just give it a try. Now for the latest in South Carolina. Currently, the spread of COVID-19 is low according to county-level data from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. From April 10th through April 16th, DHEC reported 1,521 cases and 7 deaths. That's up again for another week. We're up by 450 cases and 4 deaths over the week prior. Our current percent positive is 3.5%. There are 90 South Carolinians hospitalized with COVID-19, 16 are in intensive care, and 9 are on ventilators. All of those metrics besides the percent positive are down week over week. So that's encouraging right there. And currently 54.4% of eligible South Carolinians are fully vaccinated. It's a meaty politics section here, folks. I told you. So all my sharp-eared listeners out there, sharpen those ears. This is the part of the year where the merry-go-round just starts to speed up and up until May 12th when session ends. So hold on tight. Hold on. Let's start off with what got done this week. More than $1.8 billion in American Rescue Plan Act dollars to fix roads, rural infrastructure, closing the broadband gap, and improving public health in the state are getting closer to being dispersed. The Senate tweaked the House's H-4408 that sends $453 million to the Department of Transportation for Roads and Bridges, $900 million to the Rural Infrastructure Authority, $400 million to the Office of Regulatory Staff for Broadband, 
$104 million to DHEC for a new public health lab, and that frees up money actually from the budget as well, and then $8 million for the management of these federal funds. So all told, that's a casual $1.8 billion in federal funds set to move. And the state, they still have $800 million in ARPA funds left. And again, that's something we've been talking about for months and months. It's getting closer to the governor's desk. Lawmakers this week also ratified a bill that will put misbehaving school board members on blast. S-203 allows the governor to remove school district trustees who willfully commit or engage in an act of malfeasance, misfeasance, chronic unexcused absenteeism, conflicts of interest, misconduct in office, or persistent neglect of duty in office, or are deemed medically incompetent or medically incapacitated. Let's move on to another ratified bill. This one prevents public employers from requiring employees and students from getting COVID-19 vaccines. H-3126 also provides for unemployment benefits if a private employer terminates, suspends, or reduces pay for an employee who doesn't get a COVID shot. The soon-to-be law also stipulates that hotels, hospitals, restaurants, movie theaters, and retail establishments cannot discriminate in any way based on a person's vaccination status. All right, so now let's move on to bills that got a lot of attention this week but face a hazy future. First up, critical race theory. The House debated the Education Committee's CRT bill that was the culmination of 18 hours of testimony and five bills condensed into one. H-5183 outlines seven prohibited concepts from being taught or teachers being trained on. Like we've said before, the language closely mirrors former President Donald Trump's September 2020 executive order that banned diversity training for federal agencies and contractors. Under this bill, teachers cannot teach that one race, sex, ethnicity, religion, color, or national origin is inherently superior to another, is inherently privileged or oppressive, that an individual should be discriminated against because of those immutable characteristics or that they bear responsibility for past actions. Separately, a student, administrator, teacher, staff member, or other school or district employee may not be required to engage in any form of mandatory gender or sexual diversity training or counseling unless it is prescribed as part of a corrective action plan. So a lot in that bill there. Now, Democrats did file some 290 amendments against the bill, a majority of which were tossed out as dilatory as the bill passed along party lines as expected. Hopkins Democrat Jermaine Johnson made an impassioned plea about how he believes the bill will curtail the teaching of African-American history in the state. So we're trying to give these individuals no pathways to success by removing some of their history. Y'all should be ashamed of yourself trying to put this on our young people. You should absolutely be ashamed of yourself. And I'm hurting right now because we just lost three young people. Every day I'm dealing with young people who are dying because they don't know who they are. They don't know where they come from. I had to look mine up on 23.com, 23andMe. I had to look mine up to figure out that I was 44% Nigerian. I bet some of y'all know exactly you came from Ireland or England, Europe. I have no idea where I come from. We should be ashamed of ourselves trying to limit the access to education for our young people. Absolutely ashamed. House Education Committee Chairwoman Rita Allison defended the need for the legislation and outlined some of the more controversial parts that are not in the bill. The bill does not discuss student feelings and subjective language is not in this bill. 
Our superintendent of education in the state repeatedly told our committee that language prohibiting instruction that makes students feel uncomfortable would stifle teachers and be difficult to enforce. That language is not in this bill. Instead, teaching and instructional material should not promote or demean a particular race, sex, ethnicity, religion, or national origin. That is not in the bill. The bill does not prohibit the teaching of controversial topics. Instead, it specifically provides the school can teach the history of ethnic groups as described in our state standards already. They can allow for the impartial discussion of controversial aspects of history and can have instruction of a particular group of people based on race, ethnicity, class, nationality, religion, and geographic origin. The bill passed 73 to 40 in, again, a party-line vote. Its future in the Senate, where the Education Committee hasn't even broached the topic, is unlikely. Now, a proviso in the budget like we saw for the current fiscal year could pop up, but at the end of the day, House Republicans, especially those with challengers, will be able to say they stymied the threat of CRT, something that isn't taught by South Carolina teachers, something teachers are not trained on, nor is in any state textbook. But the real magic this week happened in the Senate with the early voting bill debate. You may remember this bill from when House Republicans and Democrats unanimously passed it in early March. That is something that rarely happens, especially on voting legislation. Now, the bill also passed unanimously in the Senate this week, but its future is in complete jeopardy. Age 4919 creates a two-week early voting period prior to elections with multiple early voting locations in each county. It makes absentee voting mail-in only, makes voter fraud a felony, and requires post-election audits. Now, both chambers agree on those measures, but the major snag that could doom this election integrity bill is the Senate insisting on confirming the governor's appointees to the state election commission. The provision is a complete deal breaker for House leadership and the governor, both of whom vocally criticized senators for essentially sinking the bill by insisting on the provision which they say is necessary after the previous election commission director, Marcy Andino, pushed for and in some cases implemented early voting and other progressive measures Republicans disagreed with during the pandemic elections of June and November 2020. Numerous requests to fire Andino at the time went unanswered, Senate Majority Leader Shane Massey said. Take a listen to what he had to say on the floor. If, they are, if the election commission is allowing the executive director to run unchecked, that's even worse. We had a big fight for three or four years about saying T. Cooper doing that. Finally, we made some changes. Why in the world would we allow that same thing to happen at the election commission? Those people who are appointed with, no, like, I bet we couldn't even, I got the list, I can tell you who's on there, but I bet we can't, nobody in here can name more than two people on that election commission. You might be able to name one because they might live down the street from you. But I bet nobody in here can name more than one person on the election commission. There's no oversight at all. What we're asking for is nothing new. It's not abnormal. This is not usurping power from the governor. I mean, look, y'all know me. Those of you who've been here for a while, you've heard me argue about different things. 
I mean, I'm not going to assert power from the governor. I'm usually the one who's wanting to give more power to the governor. But I do think that a check and balance is important. Right now, there is no check. Ann Dino, who led the agency for 18 years and oversaw the implementation of voter ID laws in a modernized voting system, left the agency in late 2021. But again, the blowback was fast and furious. House Speaker Jay Lucas said in a statement, the Senate's past version of House Bill 4919 ended any real opportunity for election reform this year. After two years of extremely hard work by many in both chambers, it is a shame that the Senate Majority Leader chose to unnecessarily increase his own power rather than take concrete steps to make South Carolina's elections the most secure in the United States. The governor also didn't mince his words in a tweet, putting blame squarely on Massey, saying, quote, It's unfortunate that some Senate Republicans were misled by the majority leader and Democrats and rejected a common-sense compromise in order to make it easier to vote and harder to cheat in South Carolina. If this bill does not become law, the voters will know who to blame and why, quote. And that might be a stretch for voters to know or care, but plenty of mailer fodder there and for TV ads as well. Again, this is something you don't really see too much of, these Republicans fighting each other like this. But again, this bill could literally be dead. But why, Gavin? Why is this bill heading to the shredder? Hot tip, folks. It's not all, I'm just a bill. Things are going to work out. Even though typically with such differences, a bill goes to conference committee, that's not the case here. In fact, it's going to go back to the House Judiciary Committee, according to House Majority Leader Gary Simrel, who explains why the bill is structured this way. Well, the governor, of course, in, in the way this is uh, constructed, uh, the governor appoints those, those members. You want the accountability back to the governor. Uh, that's part of the streamlining of government. That's unpalatable for us to have the advice and consent. So, yeah, a lot of little infighting going on here, but very interesting nonetheless. This is the kind of hardball and last-minute standoffs that are proxy wars for other bills or past beef or budget priorities that one chamber is pushing. I mean, you even had Beaufort Republican Senator Tom Davis complaining about the near ironclad grip that House leadership has on bills like his medical marijuana bill, which could come up for House debate next week. But Davis, who was former Governor Mark Sanford's chief of staff and is a level-headed lawmaker who resorts to common sense and well-researched debates instead of throwing bombs, works to build compromise. However, it's not clear who would shepherd his bill on the House floor. There is no Davis medical marijuana guru equivalent in the House, let alone a Republican that will stick their neck out for it when there is so much fluidity in leadership positions right now. We'll have a better idea of the bill's fate next week. Speaking of next week, the Senate will begin debating the budget next week. So don't expect anything big coming out of their chamber besides the budget. But if you do come through the House and Senate versions, you'll see quite a few differences. It seems to be part of an ongoing fight between the two chambers, as well as the cost of the Senate's tax cut and rebate bill. Remember, the Senate's tax cut and rebate is $1.4 billion more than the House's $600 million tax cut only plan. We'll be watching next week to see what makes it in the Senate's final version of the budget, including pet projects for senators that have been cut, as well as a variety of projects and improvements for universities, law enforcement, and the state employee bonus, and more. A lot of moving parts going on in the budget in the Senate. Now, amid all this statehouse hubbub, it's easy to forget the latest taxpayer-sponsored boondoggle in the making. The Rock Hill Herald reported that the Carolina Panthers terminated their contract with the city of Rock Hill over the construction of the NFL team's new headquarters. This was a result of a disagreement of who would pay $225 million in public infrastructure improvements. 
Meanwhile, work by the state on a $40 million I-77 interchange is already underway and $115 million in state-supported tax breaks that were guaranteed three years ago. Of course, that is only if the project was completed by the end of 2024 and that it generated 150 jobs. So that could be clawed back. Richland Democratic Senator Dick Harpulian, who was vehemently against the deal in 2019, let it all out in this audio from the Russ McKinney when he spoke of Panthers owner David Tepper. What was your reaction to Mr. Tepper's decision to basically pull the plug on the Panthers operation in South Carolina? Well, you know, a guy doesn't make $16 billion without being a self-centered, egotistical narcissist. So I'm not surprised at all. This is a I, I, I would say I, I told you so moment, but the fact that he has ripped off the state and put us uh, in a position where we've built an $80 million interchange to nowhere, um, the people of York County and the city of, of, uh, of York uh, have been put disadvantaged, um, and he's just going to walk away. I mean, that's what arrogant narcissists do. All right. Hot and heavy. That, that's what it was, folks. But on the way out, we got some campaign trail news for you. Yeah! Former President Donald Trump has endorsed 4th Congressional District Republican William Timmons for his third term as he battles three other Republicans, including Trump ally Pastor Mark Burns. Alas, Timmons is the only one with the golden ticket in this primary, Pastor. And in a surprise move, 2nd Congressional District Republican Representative Joe Wilson announced his support for Katie Arrington, who is challenging 1st Congressional District Representative Nancy Mace, for the Republican nomination on June 14th. Lot, lot, lot going on right there. Now, it might not matter much for 1st District voters on who's endorsing who, but it speaks more to how Mace works with her fellow delegation members. Also, Wilson's endorsement doesn't align with the Congressional Republican leadership, which has sent thousands of dollars to Mace's war chest, per reporting from the state's Caitlin Bird. Hashtag eyes emoji. No more mother-flipping masks on this mother-flipping plane, folks. Well, for now at least. On Tuesday, the Department of Justice announced it would be appealing the ruling that lifted the federal mask mandate on planes, trains, and transit systems pending a decision by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention that the order is still required for public health. This according to NBC News. DOJ did not ask for a stay of the mandate, so you don't need to put a mask on if you don't want to. The move came a day after a federal judge in Florida struck down the CDC's requirement. Now, I know this is our medical section, but I still think it's a fitting place to talk about the mass shooting that took place at Columbiana Mall over Easter weekend, as well as the nine people who were shot at a Hampton County nightclub and three teens in Columbia this past week, including one who was killed. I spoke with Richland County Sheriff Leon Lott on This Week in South Carolina about these shootings and gun violence that's on the rise in the state. Well, we're seeing more and more across the United States. Uh, this was the first one that we've had like this in, in Richland County and in the Midlands of Columbia. But across the United States, we're almost hearing about them weekly where there's a mass shooting. And sometimes it's a gunman just goes in and shoots people who don't know. Sometimes it's someone that goes in and has a target but ends up shooting other people besides the target they're actually after. 
And what are you guys doing, your, your force right now, doing to really kind of prepare for these moments? I know you work really hand in hand with the Columbia Police Department and other agencies. How do you train for this? How do you prepare for these moments? Well, high visibility. Um, we encourage anywhere where there's a lot of people going to be, if it's a festival or something outside, uh, even the mall, have high visibility of uniformed police officers there. That's one of the greatest deterrents is having a uniform officer present and having a lot of them. And so when the bad guys see that, then they say they're not going to do it in front of a cop. And so that high visibility is one of the things that we try to work on as much as we can with different organizations. Mm -hmm. And, sir, going back to this shooting, uh, like you said, two individuals were arrested and a third just turned themselves in this morning. Uh, it's Thursday morning we're taping this. Uh, they've been charged with attempted murder and felony assault. Do you feel that these charges are sufficient? They're also not being granted bond at this time. How do you feel that things are shaping up right now in this process? I think the criminal justice system's working. Uh, they're being charged appropriately. I hope it's only attempted murder. I hope we don't have anyone die from the injuries that they had from last weekend. So I think that very serious charges, and I think that our system, our criminal justice system now is going to take this very seriously and hopefully send a message to people that this is not going to be tolerated. What about some criticism you hear from maybe some on the right who complain about uh, seeing Democratic-led cities or counties or police departments or sheriff's departments saying that they're weak on law, that they're not strong on law and order issues. How do you respond to that? Have you heard any of that criticism in the past, and how do you, how do you handle that? No, I haven't heard any criticism uh, directed at Richland County Sheriff's Department or any of our agencies here in the Midlands of Columbia. Uh, they know that we take a tough stance on crime, and this is not a Democrat issue. It's not a Republican issue. This is a community issue, and we need to put politics aside and just do the right thing and protect our people. And Sheriff Lott, talk to me about what needs to be done here, because even this week after this mass shooting, uh, you know, we saw a separate mass shooting on Easter Sunday, early in the morning, Sunday down Hampton County, obviously not your jurisdiction, but we saw another shooting on Wednesday here uh, with three teenagers, one of them died, two in serious condition. Uh, how, how do we address this? What needs to be done at the community level, maybe the police department level? What do you see needing to be done? The first thing to realize it's not a law enforcement problem, this is a community problem. Until we dress it as a community, we're going to continue to have this. We've just got young people uh, who think a gun is the answer to any, everything they have, any problem they have, any disrespect they get. Conflict resolution uh, doesn't exist with them except with a gun. And so we got to change the minds and the hearts of our young people and let them know a gun's going to get them one or two places, a cemetery or in prison. Uh, they're bombarded by media and music and their heroes all glorify violence. Look at the games they play either blowing something up or shooting something. So from an early age, our young people are just completely inoculated that, you know, a gun or weapon is how you solve it, uh, any problem they have. And we need to teach them that that's not right, right. We need to teach them what the real world is about. That when you shoot someone, you don't push a button and they get up and start over again. But we got to start at home, but then if they don't get it at home. And we've always heard it takes a village to raise a child. I think our village is our community and we need to step up now. And, and work together more than we ever have. I spoke with Dick, uh, Senator Harpoolian before he got on the Senate floor, and we talked about we need to have teeth in our law. Uh, right now, you can get caught unlawfully carrying a gun 10 times, and it's all first defense. Uh, so we have to hold people accountable more than what our laws have now. So I think changes in our laws are very necessary because we're in a crisis right now. We're, we're losing too many young people. That 14 and 28 age group is our target group that we're having so many problems with. And on the way out, the Kaiser Family Foundation released an updated analysis that estimates that nationally at least 234,000 deaths from COVID-19 between June 2021 and March 2022 
could have been prevented with a primary series of vaccinations. Now, these vaccine-preventable deaths represent 60% of all adult COVID-19 deaths since June 2021, when vaccines first became widely available to adults across the country, and a quarter of the nearly 1 million COVID-19 deaths since the pandemic began. While it is clear that vaccine effectiveness increases with booster shots, the analysis does not estimate the potential effect of booster protection here on COVID-19 deaths. If it had, it likely would have found additional deaths among unvaccinated adults as well as some deaths among vaccinated could have been prevented. Welcome to the wind down section, our little break from the news. We talk about life during the pandemic and want to hear your stories as well. Tell us if you're coming to see us out in Sumter. We probably won't air it until after the episode airs, but still, (laughs) show us some support. Please. Some love. Please. Give us a shout if you're not coming. We'd love to hear from you guys. 803-563-7169. NAT, we still have uh, a little voicemail. We got some calls. My dad's not uh, very disappointed in me anymore. Oh, well, did you? Well, your dad did give you a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, yeah, we got some calls. We got some calls. Okay. So, uh, Gavin, if you're ready, I'm ready. I didn't inherit this. Okay. It was given to me. Okay. I earned this. I earned this. Okay. Okay. But yeah, sure. You got this succession style, right? Yeah. It's, it's just, just like, like the su- it's just like su- succession for you, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, Gavin, I ha- I'm ready. Sure. If you're ready, I'm, I'm ready. ready. I'm ready. Okay. You say that now, but we'll see. Hey, Gavin AT. It's uh, Levi on John's Island checking in. It's uh, been a minute. Just want to call and see how everybody's doing. Everything's great here in the low country. Twins just turned seven on Sunday. I uh, just wrapped a nine-mile run in my half-marathon prep. I'm going to Minnesota with fellow lead enthusiast Brian Osi. We are both looking forward to the next live taping in the Charleston area, uh, seeing the lead fam and hanging out. Oh, well, I'll accept Jimmy Lovegrove. He'll have to stay my Twitter crush for now. Uh, anyway, look forward to see you then. If you guys want to do me a favor and just bring my air fryer there. I never got mine. Uh, nobody ever sent a link. Um, anyway, have a great break. Good vacation. Thanks. Love the pod, and I will catch you guys on the clip. Levi, thank you for checking in with us, and happy birthday to the twins. Seven, my God. Mm. Gavin loves Time a twin. I'm Gavin a twin. loves I'm a twin. A, I'm a twin. What can I say? Fraternal. Yes, fraternal. Uh, and very good with the crushing of the running, the sport running. He's got very a lot cool. going on. Yeah, he does. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, we will definitely bring your air fryer when we are down in the low country. I did just read a huge uh, recall on air Oh, fryers. my God. Are those the ones that we got? Yes. All of them are fry- fire risks. So. All of ours were stuck in the Suez Canal, so we really Ooh, never got that, uh, that That ship that burned down with all the cars? Yes. They had our fryers <laughs> oh, yeah. underneath. Apparently, one of them was turned on. <laughs> the crew turned one of them on, it's, and, you know, it just... Tough, spiraled. tough, tough, tough. So a lot of supply chain issues with the air fryers. But thank you again, Levi. Uh, yes, we are. We always love to touch different parts of the state. That's where we're going to Sumter this time. We've been to Greenwood, Spartanburg, Florence, Charleston, all over. So we're just making our way around. Hopefully, we'll be back down the low country this fall slash winter. That's when we typically get down there. I hope. I hope to. Yeah. I. I mean, I want to get back out there. I want to see my pals. Yeah. Only uh, my internet friends, IRL. You know, like. (laughs) (laughs) Hey guys. Hey. Yeah. I actually. uh, Someone introduced me. I was talking to Mayan in the state house lobby, and it was this trooper 
uh, from here in Columbia, and he's like, oh, I know you guys from Twitter. This is so cool to see you. And you're like, yeah, yeah, here we are. Please don't touch. First. Yeah, don't, don't touch. Don't look me in the eyes and okay. don't touch me, okay? There's just a few. <laughs> Avert your eyes. A few things. But, uh, yes, it will be nice to be down there again. Because that was the last show we did, AT. Live show I know. was the last March out there. March 6, 2020. Never forget. Was the hashtag never forget. Was uh, the, the last show that we did. And it was right around the time everyone was coughing, learning, not worrying. Learning, <laughs> learning what the symptoms of COVID, uh-huh. the first time you're hearing them. And then everyone I knew at Holy City, where we recorded in yeah. North Charleston, everyone that worked there had the flu. Yeah. And they all wanted to shake my hand. Uh, and I had just heard of all the symptoms of COVID, and I was freaked out. Mm-hmm. I was washing my hands like a maniac, which I continue to this day. Love that. Mm-hmm. For yeah, you, Gavin. We had just we had just finished the the primary, and then we we just did a live taping, and the next week it was like, oh, COVID, bye. Oh, yeah, go home for a year and a <laughs> yeah, half. <laughs> see you later. <laughs> it was a lot. We're going to do the podcast remotely for but yeah, we hope to get back yeah. out yeah. there. We hope to see you guys again. But anyway, Gavin, mm-hmm. I've had a huge week this oh, week. Oh, yeah? I don't know about you, but no, I yeah, had huge. a huge week. Yes. Yours was huge? Oh, great. Good to hear it. Well, uh, as everyone knows, I'm the proud sword owner here. Yes. Okay? And uh, I've been giving one of my friends, Dylan, I get, I've been giving him guitar lessons, but he's my friend and I enjoy playing guitar with him. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I haven't made him pay for any guitar lessons. And he was the one that gave me the first sword. But now we're going to make him pay, right? <laughs> yes, this is what it's all about. So uh, the other day he comes over for a lesson and he goes, I got you something. He, he goes, hold on a second, goes out to his car, <laughs> comes in. He's got a second sword. Oh for my god! A second sword update. <laughs> Power That's up. Exactly right. Your boy has <laughs> two swords, and so my first sword it was Glamdring. That's Gandalf's sword. This new one, Anduril, forged from the shards of Narsol by Elvin Smith. Of Gavin. course, okay? yes. Just as we were talking just about. Just as, yeah, yeah. Well, as I we mean, do. We always are talking about that. So is this the? Is, are you going to put this one by your door for protecting your home? I think that in that's case the, you need a battle. The smartest. I'm going to sleep one under my pillow. Of course, of course. <laughs> one behind the door. Door. Yeah. yeah. Just so I'm always safe. And he told me in the future there will be another. And I told for him the mantle. It, I don't know where this one's going to go. It is a <laughs> Very large two-handed broadsword. Okay, it Maybe has a car. it has uh, runes on it. Oh. Uh, it has gold leaf on the hilt. It's pretty pretty cool. Okay, well, um, I, I mean that's I just guess a- you could just wear it around town. <laughs> Open carry, baby. Yeah, that's what it's about. <laughs> also, I mean, that's not. That's just the first step in my big week, Gavin. Oh my God, what? Uh, Fast Ten officially in production as of two oh, days ago. Oh God, you know, and I will say what made my week very exciting was when we were actually out at some original brewery yesterday. Scouting. We were doing a little scout, a little scout, site scout. Yes, and uh, we were talking to one of the bartenders there, and I, folks, you would have loved to have seen. I wish I recorded. It was just a back and forth <laughs> over Fast and Furious between AT and this and this guy at the bar. He had met his match. I, and I was just in awe. I thought I, 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 I thought I dominated him with facts, uh, facts and I, logic. I, I, he made some good points about just how <laughs> ridiculous it's become. That's the whole point. Yeah, but he was him back pretty good and knowledgeable too. I will say it wasn't just. Belligerent I don't like know if he arguments. was that knowledgeable. Oh my god, he wasn't quite sure. You were on the ropes. <laughs> He did drop some knowledge on him, and I think he did concede a couple points too. But he, you know, he was just so bent up over Paul Walker. Yeah, he was a big he Paul really Walker. He past the woods, on and that I, one. I get it. I, I'm a big Paul Walker, or as Vin Diesel calls him, Pablo. Um, of I'm a big Pablo fan. Yes, but uh, he said Fast Five 
which introduces The Rock's character mm-hmm. and Gal Gadot also. Like, that is a fabulous movie. That's the movie where they became superheroes. Yeah, that's and, the problem. And that that's his problem, and that's my saving Massively grace. Massively part of the I Marvel mean, Universe at this yes, point. And they make Tej, a.k.a. Ludacris, uh, a hacker somehow. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. great. Great yeah, time. It's all I real. Mean, it's all somebody based. call in and, and back me up Please. here, Please. Okay? Because as Gavin said, I was on the ropes. <laughs> on the ropes. I was, ooh, I was taking it right on the chin. And I was just like, get him. <laughs> and then he's like, ah. <laughs> but uh, we, yeah. we can also report that yes. uh, Sumter Original Brewery. Very cool. Very great looking space. Uh, they got some good beers on tap. So you guys got to come out. You got to see us. Please. We can, please. Please. We're, if you don't come, we're going to look like idiots. One of the bartenders' name was Gavin. Yeah. G-A-V-Y-N-N-E. V E Y N N E is like Cheyenne, but Gavin. It was it was a lot. Um, yeah, it, but oh, that's my name too. Oh well, I, well Gavin maybe. Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we we would love to see everyone out there. It's gonna be special. It's a special time, a special place. Oh, special time with special people. Leaders finding leaders. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Gavin, say goodbye to these folks. Yes. We're uh, follow follow Gavin on Instagram and see what we're doing this weekend. It's gonna be fun. Yeah, that's we are going tease. on a road trip, folks. <laughs> Oh my gosh, check out the socials because we might be posting some deets about something special coming this fall, as I've said too much. Be like Levi and give us a call. Show us your appreciation by calling 803-563-7169. Leave us a voicemail. We love hearing from you guys when you're checking in and whatnot. We love it. And you can stay up to date with the latest news on SCETV.org and SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org. And don't forget to support your local newspapers. For the South Carolina lead, I'm Gavin Jackson. Be well, South Carolina. I gotta get my wordle. Oh, gone the first try. <laughs> Every time. <laughs>